For a time, the two sat discussing themselves and their concepts. Desmi, finding Tamurello both stimulating and large with vitality, decided to take him for her lover. Tamurello, who was keen for novelty, made no difficulties and matched her energy with his own, and for a season all was well. However, in due course, Tamurello came to feel that Desmi, to an enervating degree, lacked both lightness and grace. He began to blow hot and cold to Desmi's deep concern. At first, she chose to interpret his waning ardor as a lover's teasing, the naughtiness, so to speak, of a pampered darling. She thrust herself upon his attention, tempting him with first one coy trick, then another. Tamurello became ever more unresponsive. Desmi sat long hours with him, analyzing their relationship in all its phases, while Tamurello drank wine and looked moodily off through the trees. Neither size nor sentiment, Desmi discovered, affected Tamurello. She learned that he was equally proof against cajolery, while reproaches seemed only to bore him. At last, in a facetious manner, Desmi spoke of a former lover who had caused her pain, and hinted of the misfortunes which thereafter had dogged his life. Finally, she saw that she had captured Tamurello's attention and veered to more cheerful topics. Tamurello let prudence guide his conduct, and once again Desmi had no complaints. After a hectic month, Tamurello found that he could no longer maintain his glassy-eyed zest. Once again he began to avoid Desmi, but now that she understood the forces which guided his conduct, she brought him smartly to heel. Desperate at last, Tamurello invoked a spell of ennui upon Desmi, an influence so quiet, gradual, and unobtrusive that she never noticed its coming. She grew weary of the world, its sordid vanities, futile ambitions, and pointless pleasures, but so strong was her disposition that she never thought to suspect a change in herself. From Tamurello's point of view, the spell was a success. For a period, Desmi moved in gloomy contemplation through the windy halls of her palace on the beach near Is then at last decided to abandon the world to its own melancholy devices. She made herself ready for death, and from her terrace watched the sun set for the last time. At midnight she sent a bubble of significance over the mountains to Feroli, but when dawn arrived no message had returned. Desmi pondered a long hour, and at last thought to wonder at the dejection which had brought her to such straits. Her decision was irrevocable. In her final hour, however, she bestirred herself to work a set of wonderful formulations, the like of which had never been known before. The motives for these final acts were then and thereafter beyond calculation, for her thinking had become vague and eerie. She surely felt betrayal and rancor, and no doubt a measure of spite, and seemed also urged by forces of sheer creativity. In any event, she produced a pair of superlative objects, which perhaps, she hoped, might be accepted as the projection of her own ideal self, and that the beauty of these objects and their symbolism might be impinged upon Tamurello.
In the light of further circumstances, her success in this regard was flawed, and the triumph, if the word could so be used, went rather to Tamurello. In achieving her aims, Desmi used a variety of stuff— salt from the sea, soil from the summit of Mount Cambaste in Ethiopia, exudations and pastes, as well as elements of her personal substance— so she created a pair of wonderful beings, exemplars of all the graces and beauties. The woman was Melanchthy, the man was Fode Carfilio. Still all was not done. As the two stood naked and mindless in the workroom, the dross remaining in the vat yielded a rank green vapor. After a startled breath, Melanchthy shrank back and spat the taste from her mouth. Carfilio, however, found the reek to his liking and inhaled it with all avidity.